In this episode, I speak with Boomer Anderson. He's a former financial analyst out on Wall Street and in Asia Pac, uh, turned CEO at the uh, ripe age of 26 of a company that uh, eventually, by the time he hit 30, hit his own health scare, um, in which he discovered that he had some heart challenges, and that scare turned into the catalyst for his personal transformation of his life and went down um, the path to basically creating his current company, Decoding Superhuman, which he is a consultant to entrepreneurs and business professionals, enabling them to uh, utilize and work effectively and avoid burnout and uh, basically his own personal journey uh, as a base to uh, build off that experience and his pursuit in knowledge and understanding and, and the ability to continue the trial and error and tweak things to enjoy the journey uh, to better health and not make it such a burden. So in this conversation, we cover a number of topics from uh, chronotype to uh, you know understanding the right testings to deal with, um, to business professionals who travel a lot and how to recover well from jet lag, uh, both in prep and post, work-life integration as opposed to work-life balance, and protecting the asset, which is you. Uh, if you're not well, uh, everything else around you won't be either. So enjoy the conversation. We cover a ton of stuff. Oh, we also cover on wearables. So uh, there's a lot to talk about, a lot to listen to. So this can apply to a lot of friends, whether it's you or, or anyone that could see value in this conversation. So please share. That's our goal is to educate, equip, and empower folks to live this one life well. So please share, uh, subscribe, and also provide comments and uh, your feedback. So thanks. Remember, be rested, be well. All right, with me today is Mr. Boomer Anderson, owner of health consulting firm Decoding Superhuman, uh, dedicated to working with high-performing professionals to battle issues of stress, sleep, burnout, and balance. Welcome to the podcast, Boomer. Scott, so good to be here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm grateful for the time. I know you're busy and uh, you're jet-setting right now in the States, originally from the U.S., I guess, but reside in Amsterdam. But I'm, I'm... you know, interested in getting into what you do with your firm, especially on those four categories. It, it definitely resonates with me and kind of ties into the genesis of even starting the podcast myself and my own personal experience. Um, but before we kind of dig into, you know, those four categories, maybe your own backstory on how you yourself kind of got into this. You didn't, uh, based on my research, didn't exactly start in the health and wellness arena yeah it's interesting right um it's and i i like to say it's funny how life goes so uh, i've always been interested in performance from a very young age it was academics or athletics i just wanted to be at that next level Um, when i graduated from university i went to the university of minnesota go gophers coldest place to go to school but (laughs) it was a lot of fun um and i took exposure right Sorry? Good for cold exposure practice. Great place for a all-natural cryo tank. 
right? And so you just walk outside in the winter and the campus is split across the Mississippi River and going to class was really getting your cold exposure for the day. <laughs> but um, so after I graduated university, at that time, the place to go, if you really wanted to test your performance limits, um, at least within finance, was Wall Street. So I ended up in Wall Street uh, in New York City for two years and then got sent to Singapore. Uh, Singapore there I had this amazing opportunity to fix a business and then got left on Gilligan's Island so to speak <laughs> to run that business at the rightful age of 26 so here I am at this age of 26 and I my entire life has been built around this idea of performing at the next level and I have this amazing opportunity to run this business spanning 14 different countries wow. and that was great. You know, over the course of four years, I went to 50 plus countries and this was all of course on somebody else's balance sheet. So it's nice when somebody else pays for it. Sure. And I was having a lot of fun. I was also, you know, an avid CrossFitter doing something like 10 to 12 workouts a week. There was a point where I was actually competing to potentially go to regionals uh, within the Asia region in CrossFit. And I wasn't sleeping very much. So I love the title of your podcast and really gravitated towards that because from the age of 18 to 30, I slept between four and six hours a night. And six hours a night was a really good night for me. Wow. And during this time, you know, I, I was a participant in these esoteric quantified self forums where it was like myself, Gary Wolf, who co-founded it. Bob Troy and a few others. And I was just sort of a fly on the wall exploring these different data points to learn more about myself. The goal was different back then than it is now. Uh, so the goal back then was, okay, how do I sleep less and work more? Because after all, that's what finance people do, right? That's right, yeah. And so I, I took that quite literally and began to look at different metrics and things, whether it be, and what's funny enough is I didn't pay that much attention to sleep. I was looking at how do I take sleep, increase the quality, but decrease the quantity. And I was playing around with different metrics and things and got really into both quantified self, but also lab testing. And one of those lab tests, uh, as I got towards the end of my banking career, and just let me retrace my steps a little bit here. Uh, at the age of 30, I, I came to a conclusion that I needed to do something else. I didn't know quite what that something else was, but I had met this girl who is now my fiance on a dance floor. She wanted to move to Europe. I was tired of finance. And so I was going to try something new, albeit more of a startup uh, mobile application kind of field in the mobile application kind of field. And between the time period where I resigned and when I was serving out that resignation period, uh, I found out I had cardiovascular disease. Oh, wow. And this is right at 30. Wow. So if you think about this, a cardiovascular disease is the leading preventable cause of death in both the United States and the European Union. And I stumbled upon this because I was the guy who was going into my doctor and saying, okay, Cholesterol, that's not that useful to me. We already know that I fall within the quote unquote bell curve that is cholesterol. A lot of these markers that you're giving me are not that useful to me. What else can we test? And one of those things was a cardiac CT scan for calcium. 
which is simply just a, you know, think of it as a picture of your heart looking for calcium in your various arteries. Mm -hmm. And I found out that I had uh, a blockage of my left interior descending artery, complete accident. And it just threw me for a whirl. So here I am at the age of 30 being told that and it was a relatively minor blockage, but I had a 95% chance of a cardiac event in my life. So wow. the good news is, is that I was 30, right? I wasn't 50 in, in that age range where these things happen. So you kind of come at that crossroads and it's just sort of like, okay, I could continue going down this path of working hard and not smart and just beating my body up and I could now see what that was doing to my body or right. I can make that left turn and go down a different path and work smarter, not harder, which is actually one of the companies I'm a part of today. Uh, ironically enough, it's called smarter, not harder Inc. And we can get into that in a little bit. And so I, I paused and took a little bit of a step back and began unpeeling the layers of the onion uh, that included getting into much more detailed quantified self-testing, much more detailed and preventative uh, health optimization testing, and many other different modalities in order to uh, peel back the layers of the onion on my own life. And yeah. a lot of that had to deal with sleep, stress, and to a little bit nutrition, overexercise, et cetera. Uh, but as I began to do that, what was fascinating was is I had certain colleagues, former colleagues and clients that were like, hey, that's very interesting because everything I did was very methodical in terms of unpeeling these layers. It was like, okay, rather than just taking all of this stuff that the Huffington Post or whatever newspaper tells you to do, how can we put data behind it to give us more confidence in what we're doing? And how do we then apply it to our lives? Because the idea that you know, a recommendation should apply to 7 billion people is pretty uh, stupid. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. How do I take 7 billion, boil it down to one and apply it to my life? And that's really how Decoding Superhuman as a health consulting firm got started. That's a, a phenomenal story. Yeah. And um, I think it's something that so many of us resonate with. You know, like I said earlier, the genesis of this is something just seems off. Like you're doing all the things that on a textbook says, uh, I should be healthy, right? You were mm -hmm. young, 30 years old. That's no way seasoned. Uh, you know, you're at a, a good optimal age, right? And having the, that wake up call, it makes me wonder like, is that where we need to go from a general health perspective is doing those types of things much sooner. Yeah. Um, and how much lifestyle even influences that? Cause you, you were mentioning how, you know, you were burning the candle on both ends, which I can also relate to is, you know, especially graduating college, it's, you know, the goal was work hard, play hard. And there was, right? there was nothing else left, <laughs> mm -hmm. including my own, you know, ability to keep going. Exactly. Uh, right. So when, when you started to get into that, you know, you said the catalyst was the cardiac CT um, and you happen to be really digging into that area as well. What were some other things that as you progressed through this evolution, realizing these are some other key metrics or, or categories that I should focus on. Sure. So um, we can go through and just tell me to stop because I think a key point for your audience is, is that as you unpeel the layers of the onion, an important message that I have to give to people is fall in love with the journey. 
because it's really about the journey and not necessarily the destination. There will always be more things to uncover. There will always be more things to try out and to experiment with. So yeah. get used to falling in love with the journey. It's an important distinction. Let's, so let's now go down a few of those wormholes, right? Uh, so the beautiful thing was, is shortly after leaving that position in finance, I started a podcast. Now, the logical question that I asked or have been asked before is, why did you start a podcast? Podcasting at that time was the cheapest way for me to reach out to all of these experts around the world and essentially get free consultations. So when I looked around at who I wanted to speak with, uh, you know, a lot of those were some of the early podcast episodes. And uh, as I was going through it, you know, I, I was speaking to some of the best cardiologists in the world, whether that be in Singapore, whether it be um, in, in, for instance, University of Mississippi, a guy by the name of Dr. Larry Cresswell was one of the first people that I reached out to because he is very much focused on the athlete's heart, which I was coming very much from an athletic background, not necessarily a, an obesity background. And so uh, when I was reaching out to these people, you know, one question led to another, led to another. So with Dr. Cresswell, it was very much a, rather than looking at an esoteric variable like cholesterol, okay, let's look at lifestyle factors. All right, so I started looking at lifestyle factors. Sleep, stress, and nutrition are traditionally one um, issues that my clients come to me with. But as I was looking at sleep, stress, and nutrition in my own life, all right, well, I mentioned earlier a very easy variable to see was that I was sleeping four to six hours a night. And still to this day, sleep is my best opportunity for improvement, but I've come a long way um, in terms of just actually focusing on that. So I went down the sleep route. Now, what were the things that I was doing wrong in terms of sleeping? Not having a consistent bed and wake time that actually produces something in the body called social jet lag. You know, I mentioned earlier that I've been to 50 plus countries and during that time, and that left me in a state of actual jet lag. But on top of that, I wasn't going to bed at the same time every night. You think of finance people, I was staying up sometimes. An early night was midnight. A late right. night could be not sleeping at all. And I was waking up at whatever my body would tell me to wake up at because I was just trying to sleep the few hours that I could. So, you know, getting that consistent bedtime in place, actually identifying what my right chronotype was. And it turns out that I'm an early morning chronotype. I get, I get my best rest when I go to bed somewhere between 8.30 and 9.30 p.m., and wake up between 4.30 and 5.30 a.m. So that's, go ahead. Can I pull on that thread real quick? Please do. Chronotype. So how, so what was the process to determine that on assessing your chronotype? Cause I've heard that before, but I'm like, okay, that sounds great. How do I get there? Yeah, sure. So I'm a big believer in definitions. And so let's start with just a definition of terms uh, and a very simplistic definition of chronotype. Uh, chronotype would be your body's favored time of day to sleep. Uh, it's essentially dealing with your sleep-wake cycle. The classic example here are morning larks and night owls. 
And as I began to delve into this sleep field, the good thing was is that sleep all of a sudden became sexy in popular media. We had guys like Dr. Matthew Walker, who recently published the book, Why We Sleep. But uh, around that time, you know, Michael Bruce was really getting popular and he's an NIH doctor who's focused on sleep as well. And so when you look at determining chronotype, there is subjective ways to do it and then there's an objective way to do it. So I'm going to go down the subjective way first, which costs you no money and actually may allow you to go on a nice vacation. And then the objective way is a little bit more expensive. So the subjective way is to go on a vacation, ideally someplace where you have limited influences on light, uh, sound, as well as uh, stimulative activity at night. So going to Oktoberfest in Munich is probably not the ideal place to figure out what your chronotype is. Right, but right. For example, Vegas probably wouldn't be another option either. Yeah, Vegas is probably the the way to f figure out what your uh, what your capacity to stay awake for amount of time is. Right. Uh, <laughs> so when I, I looked at kind of places to go for chronotype, I mean, or the things that I think of are the places that I've been. Uh, you know, I, I'm got engaged to my fiance in Namibia, which is uh, right next to South Africa. There's barely any electricity at night. And so those are the types of environments that you're looking for. Limited electricity, limited stimulation and nightlife, and perhaps as much fresh air as possible. And those types of places will allow you to naturally feel when you get tired, naturally feel when you wake up. You can go camping, for instance. This is a good way to do this as well. And once you've done that, you'll be able to assess objectively, okay, I get tired, or sorry, uh, subjectively, I get tired at this period of time. I get, I wake up at this period of time. And if you're able to do that, you can identify your chronotype pretty quickly within a few days, actually. Okay. And, and the objective way of doing this, so if we go the other way of doing this, um, there's a scientist called, I believe it's Joseph Takahashi, who did a lot of research around the period gene and the period family uh, of genes was one of the awards for the Nobel Prize in Physiology a couple of years ago. And so you can get a genetics test and look at some of the genes to determine whether or not you are a morning or night person. There is one caveat here in terms of genetics. Genetics are probability based. And so I like to use combinations of both data and subjective feeling because I feel like it gets the most accurate measure for most me, me as well as most of my clients. Right. And so when I look at subjective feeling and going to places like Namibia, Patagonia, et cetera, seeing when I go to bed and when I wake, but also on top of that, correlating it with the data that tells me I'm a morning person. Okay, I've definitively known now that my chronotype is morning and I can adjust my life, my time, my priorities accordingly. Awesome. So as you were talking, I was thinking about, it might be a bit of a rabbit hole, but um, you're mentioning travel a lot. Like how how folks you know, who are in business, there's a lot of travel generally. So you're in different types of beds, different time zones. Is there a best practice to kind of calibrate depending on how long you're in an area based on your personal experience? Sure. I, I'm, first off, this is a, a very strong passion of mine. It's like 
because I didn't, when I left and found out that I had this heart condition, I just didn't want to stop living. There are people that when they're faced with a diagnosis like this, that it can cause them to go into a little bit of a downward spiral. Sure. For me, it was actually a swift kick in the, you know, the keister, so to speak. I haven't used that word in years, Uh, but it was a swift kick in the butt to just uh, push on forward, but also to identify ways to make the lifestyle that I was living and wanted to live, which is an explorer around the world, healthier. And so there are a number of different modalities that you can use to uh, optimize your travel. And so if it's okay with you, we can talk. Uh, would you, do you want me to talk about traveling significant amounts of time zones or just in general when you hop on the plane, things you can do? Yeah, I'll, I'll go on the ladder. Uh, hop on a plane and what you can do to kind of uh, minimize, I guess, the jet lag, for lack of a better term. Sure. So uh, jet lag is a function of a mismatch in your circadian rhythms to the current time zones, right? So just looking at circadian rhythms, circa meaning uh, around a day, right? And so the rhythm that you have around a day. This is typically thought of as our bed-wake cycle, but if you think about our body, and this is great because the science of circadian biology is very much into uh, identifying these, our body runs on numerous amounts of biological rhythms, uh, hormones like leptin, ghrelin, uh, even, you know, and those have more of a function to do with appetite but also cortisol has a daily diurnal, typically diurnal rhythm, which is, it looks a little bit like a logarithmic graph if you've ever, if you've ever seen that. And so when we have a mismatch in those rhythms, this is what causes you to wake up sometimes in the middle of the night or earlier or later than you anticipated. We label that jet lag. And so let's talk about what you can do both before and on the flight, and then once you land. So a lot of this is looking at yourself and objectively saying, is my lifestyle supporting uh, a healthy life or not? And so there are some basic principles which would help you regardless if you're a traveler or not. You know, do I have proper immune system function? We're now talking in the time of COVID, right? And so if if COVID's going on right now, you know, you want to make sure that your immune system's optimized. When you go up into this metal tube in the air, you're essentially in a Petri dish with 300 other strangers or however many it may be, and whatever their bacteria or viruses that they're carrying could potentially get passed on to you. So simple things that I like to do, and again, you know, this is advice that I give myself. If you want to speak to your physician, please go speak to your physician. But looking at antioxidants and making sure that you're balancing out Um, antioxidants with reactive oxygen species. So uh, you're going to be exposed in the air to a number of reactive oxygen species. This could be those bacteria that I mentioned from the other airplane people um, or airplane passengers, not people. This could also be cosmic radiation. This could be the Wi-Fi on board, all of that stuff. Air pressure. Air pressure all causes reactive oxygen species. You want to balance that out with antioxidants. So antioxidants can be something as simple as vitamin C, and you can get those pretty much at any pharmacy around the United States. Um, But it can also be something a little bit more 
intricate in that you can build your bodies. Uh, if you look at our detoxification system, some of those detoxification elements include things like glutathione. And one of the building blocks of glutathione is N-acetylcysteine. And so just ensuring that your body's natural processes are running well are very, very useful when it comes to being on that plane itself. Uh, items like molecular hydrogen are areas where I think are, are very, very effective. Now let's go to the part where we actually land. And let's say you have to perform on that day. There's an app that everybody can download called Time Shifter. And this was actually put together by a Harvard University professor who essentially uses sleep, caffeine, melatonin, and sunlight to optimize you for jet lag. And so what you do is you plug in your flight details, you plug in exactly what you need to do in terms when you land, like do you need to perform when you land or do you have a day? Um, in which case they give you a certain program that you can follow that will help you optimize your jet lag right away. Oh, and wow. so if you look at that app, and I like to pick apart the app a little bit and just sort of say, okay, what can I actually learn and fractalize here for just jet lag in general? And so some of the things that I like to do whenever I land in a place, if it is daylight, getting sun on my body, as much of my body as soon as possible when I land is very useful. If you look at going back to circadian rhythms and biological rhythms, one of the top cues for your circadian or sleep-wake cycle is sunlight. So getting sunlight into your eyes goes into your suprachiasmatic nucleus, which is essentially your master clock, and signals to people, or signals to, I say people, but uh, the various cells in your body, which all have their own rhythms, that, hey, it's time to be awake. Okay. Um, and also, and so we can use sunlight as an anchor tool. Grounding has various benefits aside from feeling good. It just also helps you, um, in a way, re-acclimatize with nature, uh, so to speak. Grounding is a great tool. Uh, saunas to increase uh, your detoxification systems are a fantastic tool. And depending on the time of day that you land and how many time zones you have shifted, uh, getting into your normal routines as it relates to that particular time zone is very effective. What do I mean by that? Uh, if you are landing in a time zone three hours behind you and there for more than one day, uh, it's probably worth adjusting your meal schedule to that time zone. This will further, and remember, uh, meal schedules will help also sync those clocks. And so as we sync those clocks a li little bit better, you're going to sleep a little bit better. Other ancillary items, depending on where you are in the world, melatonin is either over-the-counter or prescription. Uh, melatonin being one of, it does a number of things in your body, including contributing to gut health. But melatonin is a great way to help sleep a little bit better once you land. So those are just a few of the things I could quite with all of my clients. Um, what we do is we identify really how far are you flying? Uh, can we use a very simple uh, prescription, if you will, for that jet lag uh, that can include sleep, uh, caffeine, but also when your meals are but if it's a longer flight and if it's something they do regularly, I'll even identify, you know, the place they are on the plane 
and how we can use the window on the plane, for instance, to help sync those rhythms as well. Interesting. Yeah, it makes sense on the food piece where it's like if you land at a particular time, just kind of jump into the meal cycle of whatever's happening as that kind of simplistic and, and something you can immediately own uh, mm-hmm. right away to kind of get your body moving in that way. Absolutely. And this is where, you know, things like eye mask, blue light blockers, uh, I, I carry a, a roll of electrical tape with me because the average hotel room has a lot of flashy lights in it that I just, yes. I'm, and I'm, I'm extremely sensitive to light. One of the things I found in my own on peeling the layers of the onion is that light is probably my, my biggest sensitivity to my sleep wake cycle, which I live in Amsterdam for most of the year. This time of year, the sunlight comes out at four 30 in the morning. So oh. it's just, it's, it's a time for me to adjust my sleep wake cycle so that I go to bed earlier because I know that uh, there's a limited amount of time I'm going to be bed. Yes, you can have blackout blinds and all of that stuff, but I am very, very tightly correlated to uh, the sunrise and sunset uh, of this planet. Okay. No, that makes sense. Um, I did not know, I've not traveled too much outside of the United States. So Amsterdam. You have an no. open invitation to Amsterdam whenever you want it, my friend. Nice. Thank you very much. I may have to take you up on that one. What are the other areas that um, the four categories, stress, sleep, burnout, Mm -hmm. balance, um, and they kind of obviously all interplay. Balance is a term that's thrown out there a lot uh, as if it's this, you know, miraculous and binary thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's get your insight on balance and how you perceive that and and provide consulting um, when it comes to balance. It's very interesting because over the years, my, my views have changed on this because when I was in finance, I was constantly seeking this term balance, this esoteric thing in the future that seems so far away and so hard to achieve, uh, which is uh, a little bit, it makes it difficult for people to reach. And I think it, it can make it very, very frustrating because I think people need to acknowledge Something first is that uh, the advocates of this work-life balance movement all struggle with work-life balance. And so uh, when we, nobody is perfect at this. And so I actually prefer a term uh, called work-life integration. And this means that at certain times in your life, you may have to favor your personal life a little bit more than your work life, or you may be able to integrate your work life into your personal life, um, as I have done over the past couple of years, such that it flows seamlessly. Then you remove that element of balance and you can, you no longer have to be frustrated that you're reaching for something that seems so hard, excuse me, so hard to grasp and achieve. And so when I look at work-life balance, I actually look at, okay, um, we ask some pretty tough questions. And again, the nature of the people that I work with are they're entrepreneurs trying to change the world. And I help them do that by optimizing their health. And so when you have an entrepreneur is trying to change the world, they're truly, truly passionate about what they do. And so that is not something that just necessarily switches off at, at any given time. 
and allows you to just be there with your family. And so it's more of a question of how do we integrate this in your life such that uh, your family becomes somewhat more of what you, a part of what you do uh, on any given day, or we just make sure that you're actually doing something that you want to be doing. Because one of the easiest ways to um, achieve work-life balance is to actually enjoy, or work-life integration is to actually enjoy what you're doing. So it's about asking a lot of really, really tough questions. Now, that's great. That's a, that's a good model for people to shoot for. But I like to give people tactics for where they are right now, uh, which may mean that they're in a situation where they're getting crushed because COVID's happening and they want to perform well at work because in the United States right now, we have something like a 14% unemployment rate and people are worried about getting laid off, but they also have this family, kids at home. And I think there is a worthwhile discussion here uh, when you're going down this initial steps about setting boundaries and routines. And this is where uh, routines become particularly valuable. So making sure that you're giving your time, your your own time for self-care throughout the day is very, very important. I've had Greg McEwen on my podcast who wrote uh, the New York Times bestseller, The Essentialism. And one of his elements that, and I didn't get it until I was speaking with him, that he talked about is protecting the asset. And the asset is you. And so when we talk about uh, protecting the asset, what we're talking about here is self-care. We've already touched on sleep and the importance of sleep. You know, without it, your brain can't possibly function at its absolute best. Um, but also there's elements there that you need to take time for yourself. Like, what do you appreciate? What do you need to do? Whether that's meditation. For me, it's a combination of meditation and study. You know, Scott, you and I, before the show, we're talking about our curiosities, right? And how we're both very curious people and it allowed us to start this podcast. Well, I'm an extremely curious person and I'm a consumer of various new ideas and a little bit of an orthogonal thinker. And so what I, I do is I carve out time in every day to, to read and give myself that, that pleasure that I get out of that curiosity. So when we're looking at work-life balance, there's an element there of identifying now, what do you truly enjoy? What if we were to allow you to do it, time would lose value and give yourself some time or time would just sort of disappear. That's probably a better way of putting it. Yeah, you kind of get in that zone, so to speak, right? You just all of a sudden look up and be like, oh, wow, it's been three hours. And exactly. You just, it didn't even feel like a burden. Exactly. And so give yourself a moment to do whatever that is uh, during this time period, because your immune system will thank you, your mind will thank you, uh, your sleep will probably thank you, and your nervous system will certainly thank you as well. And so, you know, when it comes to the, the work-life balance, it's, yes, you need to carve out time for your family. And I do think that people should set, set stricter, stricter boundaries than they are. 
um, and giving yourself some time for your family, but also anchoring your day in routines. Morning and evening routines become especially helpful here. Uh, work routines even, because if we're working at home for the first time really ever, having some routine around that so that you don't just spend the entire day going back and forth between cleaning and checking your email uh, yeah. is, is a very effective way to, to do this. And if you want to be more productive with work, we can go down that wormhole as well, because there's a lot there that we can do too. Well, I think it's, it's a, an interesting personal and probably many folks listening as well as the, the anecdote of if you're not used to working from home a lot, those boundaries will get blurred easily, mm-hmm. you know, as a, as a father of three kids and having some semblance of homeschooling and being in the house and accessible more easily. And it, there's oh, easy boundary crossing and by, vice versa. You kind of mentioned doing chores. Like I might go upstairs and get lunch, but then I end up doing the dishes or helping somewhere and then it's like, oh, wait a minute. And you're just doing this task switching and not mm-hmm. kind of staying focused on it. Um, yeah. But I think you make a great point on the self-care that there is a blurry line, again, around self-care and self-love in the negative context, context where, you know, you're not being selfish if, to take care of yourself so you can bring your best self forward. Because if you're not, and many of us can probably relate, is you might be a little more abrupt with your kids or your wife or your coworkers. And that's not one who you, who you probably are Two, It's not going to be helpful in any circumstance. I've mm-hmm. learned the hard way. <laughs> and then, um, you know, and, and it's not what you, you really envision yourself to do. So it, it, it makes perfect sense to find that time, um, and really guard it. Like, yeah, you know, I, one of the things that I like to establish with all of the clients that I work with is what is your best and most productive time of the day? Uh, a lot of times this correlates with chronotype, mm-hmm. but, and so for me, those first few hours during the day, I cherish them uh, in terms of that's when I get my most work done. And so before I drop into the proverbial matrix, I want to make sure that I am sitting down in my most valuable time and executing on something, a plan that I established earlier in the or last night, because that's my most valuable time. That's my most creative time to think. And a lot of the stuff that I do uh, is strategy based. And so for me, creativity is very, very valuable. And, you know, a lot of my job in that sense, shouldn't be reactive, it should be proactive. I let the reactive stuff happen later in the day when, you know, towards the later half of the day, I don't necessarily, uh, I'm not as creative, I'm not as productive as I am first thing in the morning. Sure. Yeah, and that's, that's an important element. I wrote down the chronotype plus productivity correlation. Mm-hmm. Um, and really understanding, you know, that equation Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is a big one. Absolutely. And one of the ways that you can actually start doing this, we, we talked earlier about identifying chronotype. Um, and one of the ways you can start doing this is like, what are the times, and there's probably different apps out there that uh, that do this for you. 
but just to write down during the day, what are the times that you feel in flow? What are the times that you feel focused? And once you have that information, right, we've talked a lot about uh, biological rhythms. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised that if, if in the coming future that we've identified a biological rhythm for productivity as well. Uh, you know, people have different ways that they are productive. Classically, you hear people like Tim Ferriss being night owls, uh, myself being that morning lark, and identifying what the best time is for you, and then waiting your day accordingly. Now, I also have to keep in mind that I'm an entrepreneur, and I have a little bit more flexibility in doing that than a lot of people. Uh, but also remember, guys, is that I'm also working in another company that is based in California, and I am in Amsterdam, which means that my mornings are when they're going to bed and they can ask me for things. And my evenings are when they're waking up. And so I tend to, I can also adjust my day uh, such that, you know, I have that productivity window in the morning and just respond to their stuff throughout the day while they're sleeping and then uh, be available to answer and have any conversations at night uh, during their morning. But I, I would encourage people to just look at their most productive time and protect it as much as humanly possible uh, for their creative work. So I'm, I'm hearing kind of going back to a point you made at the beginning is enjoy the journey, mm -hmm. not be fixated on the destination because it's going to constantly be moving. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other element is awareness, just being more in tune with your reaction and maybe even rewinding your day of what may have contributed to that element, even to the point of, you know, you, you know, what did you eat? <laughs> yeah. You know, that could have influenced your mood a little bit, which we don't often consider, I think from a general population sense of, the influence of nutrition and food on our countenance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if we look at and what we're talking about here, guys, is talking about feedback loops in a way. And really, I'll, I'll come back to awareness in a second because I think there's, there's something that I've come to recently, very recently, that I've found to be very effective in my life. But what we're talking about here are feedback loops. Uh, we can get into wearable technology and how you'd use it for this. But yeah. just becoming more aware of uh, the, the cues that our body is taking and how those cues affect us. So let me explain that a little bit. And this is going to require me to go down and explain something that may be a little bit unfamiliar to people. So if you think about our body as actually a collection of organisms, and what do I mean by that? Uh, you know, cell biology and endosymbiotic theory of evolution, uh, we know that our modern day cell is a happy marriage between the mitochondria and ancient bacteria. We know that we are a collection of cells we also know that we are a collection of uh, bacteria in places like our gut, skin, uh, mouth, etc. We also know that we have viruses in our body. We have fungus. People often think of candida when I say fungus. And the collection of those is called the holobiont. 
And so really, when we're starting a discussion around health and health optimization, you're not actually looking at, am I sick or am I in some sort of state of well, you're actually looking at the state of your organisms in your body. And so when you start looking at the state of your organisms in your body, you want to really start looking at the things that you are feeding that those organisms and how your body is reacting. A simple way to do this is with a journal. And I walk around with a journal still to this day. Uh, it's sitting right here next to me. And anytime I, I feel either an emotion or an idea come up, there's an immediate reaction on my part. And this is something I've trained over years and years. It's just sort of what is causing that, what is causing these hunger pains outside of my eating windows. What is causing me to feel tired at the moment? What is causing uh, a lack of verbal fluency, for instance? And you start to look at things like food. You start to look at things like light. You start to look at uh, sleep, for instance. And you can begin to associate feedback loops here. So, okay, I just had, I didn't just have, by the way, but, um, you know, you just had that donut and you have this crash. That's the classic one that everybody thinks of, right? You go yeah, and you have, yeah, you have a, a crap load of Krispy Kreme donuts. Um, and then all of a sudden you feel like crap and all the, you just can immediately now start building that feedback loop. Okay. What if I don't have the Krispy Kreme donuts and instead go maybe with an intermittent fasting protocol? Okay. Now I'm highly energized, positive behavior. That's a positive feedback loop. And all of a sudden you're starting to shift into something that is more constructive for you rather than destructive. Because what your body is doing is it's taking these cues, whether that be fasting or the donuts, and it's taking these cues, processing it through its organisms and giving you an outcome. And as long as you're cognizant and aware of that outcome, that is a very, very powerful metric to measure and help you achieve your goals. Yeah, I mean, that's a great distinction. And I've had a few other conversations on this a little bit around being in nutrition and diet. And mm -hmm. diet, that term diet has been so hijacked by businesses. And I'm all for free market. It's just sometimes, and I'm a marketing degree guy, but sometimes they things get a little sideways. But anyway, um, around you know, the cues and the different type of diets. And mm -hmm. it's not that they can't work for you, but it may not be optimal. Whether it's keto, paleo, vegan, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And to, to, what I'm hearing from you is try them, see how your body responds. And if it's a good response, maybe it's something you stick to or it's a higher percentage of your dietary intake exactly and so it's helpful in this situation to come in with a goal or two um whether that and, and i i like to look at goals in terms of something more than just losing 10 pounds and being able to fit into that bikini right um it, it, something more permanent than that uh, so uh, you mentioned the word diet and I don't like the word diet as well. I prefer it to be a lifestyle uh, because diets imply that you're going to get to that goal and then you're just going to shift back. And this is why people yo-yo and wait, right? right. Uh, classic example. I have numerous people in my family that do this, 
but the idea of a lifestyle is something that you, you live with, right? By definition, that's a lifestyle. And so uh, when it comes to, uh, we can, again, we can look at diets subjectively and objectively. And so, you know, when you're looking at subjectively and trying to identify what foods are right for you, uh, there is a case for when you're eating, what foods, uh, you know, let's say you have a meal and you, you see your energy plummet. Okay, what foods in there could have potentially uh, led to my energy plummeting? Well, we identified donuts in there before and if donuts are the thing that caught or were in your breakfast and you start to look into the the research behind blood sugar and blood sugar spikes you may find that there is a negative feedback loop there and then you switch it but you also may find that you do well with a high fat uh, diet and that could be in the form of a buttered coffee that can be in the form of some avocados in the morning and, and you can see and track your energy patterns and see that like hey you know i've just had this avocado and i feel great okay plus one for the avocado you can start to build your own custom food menu in a way by doing something like that if you want i can go down the objective route of doing this as well sure so there are some basic principles that can get you a decent portion of the way there. Uh, there's a lot to be discussed right now around ancestral nutrition. And I'm not talking necessarily about a quote unquote paleo diet. I'm talking about what did your great grandmother and grandfather eat before we had this modernization of the food supply chain, if you will. Um, so, for instance, my fiance is Korean, and her, her ancestral diet is much different than what my ancestral diet is as an amalgamation of a lot of European countries, that classic American melting pot, if you will. And to a certain extent, if you look at what your great-grandparents and their grandparents ate, you can arrive at a nutrition plan that could be right for you. Now... I say could be because there's variables and elements that you should address. Uh, for instance, uh, my fiance no longer lives in Korea. And so there's a mismatch uh, from an evolutionary perspective in terms of environment. I do live in Europe, but I live in a part of Europe that my ancestors didn't come from. So there's a mismatch in my environment. This is where objective data and wearable technology becomes very, very helpful. And so objectively, we can get lab tests to look at areas like the metabolome. Uh, metabolomics, I'm pretty sure most people are familiar with genetics at this point. And genetics is the blueprint by which you should be built. Think of it as building a building, right? The architect comes up with a blueprint and then there is a final building and almost always those two differentiate or are different. I, I had, I was giving a talk once and I was explaining this and there happened to be a construction person in the audience. And I asked him, you know, how many times out of 100 does the building end up exactly the same as the blueprint predicted? And it's almost always, it's almost always never. It's rarely the case that the blueprint is the same as the house itself. 
And the reason for that is our environment. Uh, that has a lot to do with epigenetics. But if you take that way downstream to metabolomics, which is at a cellular level, you know, how are our cells doing? And what's, what are your cells uh, deficient in? And the good thing is, is that we could test this now, right? Like this is right. great for a couple hundred bucks. You can identify what diet you need in order to optimize your nutrients in order to uh, optimize your gut function. And you can also identify those variables that may not be serving you so well. So we were talking earlier about uh, ancestral nutrition and how a good basic principle for people is to look at what their great, great grandparents ate. Now take that and then add in the element of food sensitivities, which are caused most likely by the environment that we live in currently, that evolutionary mismatch. And so almonds, for all intensive purposes, are something that I should be able to eat from an evolutionary perspective. Same thing with eggs. But when I look at what they cause in my gut microbiome from an objective testing perspective, there is a food sensitivity there. And I can remove these foods now and go with confidence knowing that the foods that I'm eating are serving both the nutrients that I need, but also not contributing to what could potentially be a bigger issue later on in my life. Does that right. make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it can be that negative snowball that contributes to wh whatever it might be, you mm -hmm. know, inflammatory response or, or what have you. So yeah. no, that makes perfect sense. Um, I feel like we've covered a whole bunch of topics and can go down about six other rabbit holes. I'm um, always happy to go down rabbit holes with you, my friend. <laughs> um, but I will be, you know, conscientious of your time here. We've been talking for a bit. What I like to do is close things out with a few personal questions. Um, so what are you reading right now? Oh, um, I'm exploring a lot of areas in the realm of social cultural programming. Hmm. So if you, and this goes back to that analogy we talked about earlier, right? Like unpeeling the layers of the onion, enjoying the journey. There's a lot of stuff that I grew up with being raised in a Roman Catholic church and being taught in a certain way in the United States, participating in athletics. Uh, there are certain social cultural programs that no longer serve me in terms of uh, my, my everyday life. That could be uh, things like yielding to authority in certain ways, uh, because I'm now in a very fortunate position where I have to go out and deliver a message. And looking at some of the social cultural programs that I, I, um, I grew up with, uh, those no longer serve me in order to carry out that mission. So it's funny you ask this because I was, and maybe you just read my mind, but I'm exploring this in detail and something called schema therapy. Uh, while I'm not working directly with a therapist, I'm, I'm looking at those evolutionary programs, those schema, if you will, and just sort of asking the question, does this serve me in the broader purpose of my mission anymore, uh, rather than 
just taking it at face value. Interesting. Okay. So what are you listening to right now, be it music or podcast? Um, so again, really good question. There's two audiobooks that I'm listening to in particular right now. And then I'll get into the music after that. Uh, the two audiobooks, one is The Four Horsemen, which is a recording of a conversation between uh, Richard Dawkins, Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, and Daniel Dennett. And it happened, I think, 10 years ago. And listening to that, I'm also listening to a book called Tiny Habits, which is by a Stanford professor called BJ Fogg. And one of the reasons why I am constantly on the search for great books about habit change is because, yes, uh, we can talk about all of these supplements. We can talk about all of these technologies, uh, which we haven't really gone into the wearable technology route yet. Uh, but uh, we can talk about all of these different supplements and technology and all of these things. That's great. But how do I get you to actually do it? How do I actually get you to change your behavior? And so behavior change is something, it's arguably the most important element of the, uh, the journey. And so I'm constantly on the search for the latest and greatest uh, information on behavior change. On the music side, I am becoming more aware and more aware of the the effects that music has on my everyday life and mood and so with that i've essentially constructed playlists to bring me to a certain energy level uh, whether that be electronic music i do live in basically the capital of the world of electronic music uh, but also looking at the classic rock songs that i listen to and ensuring that at certain times of the day i have the music that serves me best so in the morning, that's a higher upbeat music because it gets me going. At night, it's more like some great, you know, I love jazz, blues, and all of that stuff, right? Uh, I was born in Chicago, like arguably one of the epicenters of American blues movement. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I will wind down to jazz, blues, that kind of stuff. But the morning is really about anything that's really 120 beats per minute or more. Nice. Okay. And then uh, last question, what is your go-to rest and recovery method? Go-to rest and recovery method. Scott, you're full of great questions, my friend. <laughs> uh, you know, meditation. And meditation. I say that because it's become – We've touched on this word awareness quite a lot over the course of the past hour. And meditation, when I picked it up seriously uh, about six years ago, it started for me, by the way, meditation for me started with listening to Stairway to Heaven and just sort of trying to focus on the words. And that was basically how I meditated for a good couple of months. And good choices. Yeah, I mean, it's Led Zeppelin. I, I grew up on Led Zeppelin, right? And so that was a 
that was how I got into it. And I eventually got into transcendental meditation Then I've kind of walked away from transcendental meditation and into something that is very close to Vipassana, which is basically focusing on your breath. And we've touched on this idea of awareness and what meditation has allowed me to do. I'll give you two examples is uh, the power of pause. So before reacting to something, just giving me that split second pause so that I think about how I'm either going to answer or respond before actually responding. And I actually don't know how many arguments and wasted time that has saved me because I will pause and I can foresee very briefly how this person is going to react if I respond in a certain way. Um, it's also the way that I become the general of my day. And what I mean by that is that on days where I don't meditate, I'm very much being dragged down the river in a very choppy and rapid river, rather than going with the flow in that easy, almost lazy river, if you will, uh, if we just give an image of an amusement park there for a second. Sure. And so meditation allows me to become the general of my day. And one of the metrics that I'm actually tracking more now as I've kind of unpeeled the layers of the onion is how present am I in any given moment right now the most important thing that I am doing is talking to you Scott there's nothing else on my mind and so you know I'm making sure that I am present in this moment enjoying this conversation rather than thinking about the 10,000 things that need to be done later in the day right right and so right. That, that's a metric that has become very very important to me and the reason why I've come to that realization is because of meditation. That's, that's a great advice. And, you know, I can relate it to two things. One, I think that ability to pause before is critical in pretty much every communication. It's probably easier in business because it's not as emotionally driven, but uh, as someone who's married with children, uh, mm -hmm. it can save or help <laughs> both of those relationship dynamics uh, in, sure. in pausing to understand the other person's perspective and, um, and whatnot. So, and then the other one is uh, you kind of, and we can maybe jump back to this conversation piece is um, technology and mm -hmm. being able to use that. And so maybe we can dovetail into uh, the wearables for a moment. Yeah, sure. Um, if that's something that you leverage to help get more directionally correct mm -hmm. on the, the previous hour of conversation we've touched on. Um, and if there's anything that you utilize yourself. Oh, I, I, so I am, you, you could probably call me a technologist in the sense that I'm constantly looking for the latest gadget and those kind of things and how they would help me. So let's talk about first, let's define what the valuable wearable technology is, because I think there's often this misnomer with wearable technology that it is going to do something for you. Right. Sorry, guys, not exactly the case, right? Uh, wearable technology is very, very useful as a feedback loop. And what do I mean by that? You complete an action, you get a data point, it tells you whether that action was positive or negative for you. And so what that can do is that can accelerate behavior change. If we go back to my high school calculus, or probably more college calculus days, uh, you calculate a derivative of dv over dt, right? And so how do you accelerate 
that behavior change, that curve, so that it, rather than becoming linear, it's more like an exponential. And that's where wearable technology becomes so, so useful in everyday life. And so that can come where the way I like to do this is I like to lay out a data set and really start to ask myself a lot of questions, gather surveys on myself, and then identify what area of life I need to focus on. So let's say there's, um, I think it's called the PSQI, which is the Pittsburgh Sleep Quality Index. And this is something that you guys can do by yourselves, right? And you can take this survey, assess, and let's say you identify the idea that you need to focus a little bit more on sleep. Okay, so that's now put me in a category of wearables to focus on. I am no longer susceptible to what those influencers are saying in terms of this is what you absolutely need to buy. Now I've identified this category and I can brought and do my research as to what the best wearable is. And I'm going down the sleep route because I'm wearing an aura ring right now. And so, you know, Pittsburgh sleep quality index. I, I acknowledge that I now have a sleep quality opportunity and I use that language deliberately and you then take the wearables and say, okay, what are the sleep wearables out there that could be useful to me? Well, best in class are probably the Whoop and the Aura as of right now. I encourage people to do their own research and obviously that these things change all the time. Sure. Uh, but I've had the opportunity of using both devices and I found the Aura to work very, very well in my life for what I need. Uh, so I use the Aura. I do use the Whoop on occasion. I also use a Garmin too. Um, but the Garmin is more for the activity component of it. Um, but again, it allows you to get that data, that sort of feedback in the morning so that you can very quickly realize like, hey, my deep sleep went to next to zero last night. Why was that? Oh, I had two glasses of wine right before bed. Maybe I can eliminate that wine, increase my deep sleep. And what happens when I increase my deep sleep? Holy crap, I'm feeling a lot better, right? And so, right. you know, that's just a way. And now you've accelerated that behavior change. So whereas before it was like, okay, you know, Johnny, I really need you to stop drinking wine. Well, why? And then if you can visualize it for somebody, it makes it that much more powerful because uh, a lot of people need reinforcement and wearable technology gives you day-to-day -day reinforcement that lab tests you not because it's generally not affordable to do those every day. Yeah. 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 Uh, I can, I've been just using for a little over a week, the whoop. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I've used Garmin for, for running for well over a decade or probably close mm -hmm. to it. Um, and I, it's definitely interesting to understand context of what they are. Are they better than what we've had historically? Absolutely. Are they definitive? That's it. No. Um, like you said earlier in the conversation, and I had another conversation with another uh, guest. It was you know putting the the data and the feeling together, mm -hmm. overlaid, so you can kind of put some additional context to it. But it was just interesting to wear the two devices at one time while I'm running, mm -hmm. and seeing any disparity between the two and i don't know i guess you can say split the difference on if there is one on what the, whether it's heart rate or whatever um the impact is to to the body and i'm a huge fan of stacking devices and as i said i am a little bit of a tech nerd so 
I do that regularly, right? And so I'll have the aura and the garment on and kind of see which one correlates best to subjective feeling. And that may be a way to determine which one you want to go with in particular situations. For instance, uh, I love the guys at Aura, but guys, like, this is not a good activity tracker. Um, however, the Garmin is a much, much better activity tracker. And right. I, I know that because I was looking at step count and then subjectively correlating it with how much activity I thought I had during the day. And I noticed that the Garmin was much, much closer. And so for anything activity related, I have my Garmin. I had the Phoenix 5, but, um, you know, I love a lot of their products, particularly the ones that integrate, which I think they just bought first beat. Uh, but you know, particularly the ones that integrate the first beat measurements. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it boils down to context is key in yeah. you know, understanding your objective. What are you trying to accomplish? And, and it's, it's not always about good or bad. Like it's binary, it's better, best. Um, yeah. and any one of them is going to work well. Um, it's just, you know, there slight variations, but put it in context to what you're doing today. If you don't even own one, just buy one and, and help get more down, more details. And if the money isn't there right now, um, you can start doing a lot of this tracking subjectively with a journal. Right? Yeah. And yeah. that's how I got started too. It was just sort of, okay, how many hours of sleep did when I went to bed was approximately what time? when I woke up was approximately what time, how many cups of coffee did I have during the day? Uh, you can start tracking that stuff. And the point yeah. is, is just making associations with how the data uh, to how you're feeling. And once you start doing that, you're already on the path uh, to accelerated behavior change. Yeah. And I, you know, it's a term I've kind of been using for myself is assess, don't evaluate. Um, just assess the data for what it is, but don't try and overlay some emotion with it by evaluating yourself. Like, Oh, I'm not there yet. Well, back to the point you made, it's the journey. Yeah. Um, so there is a moving point guys. Like <laughs> I, I've been on this journey for a long time and every time I get there, there moves. Right. And so, right. uh, you know, this is a fascinating life that we live and I just encourage people to enjoy every moment that they possibly can. And by the way, that has been one of the hardest things for me to learn and appreciate. So um, just opening the kimono a little bit there, just if you can appreciate those little moments in that journey, it'll make it that much more special as you go through. That's great. Great stage advice to end this. So with that boomer grateful for the time, insight, expertise, and uh, have a great day. You too, my friend. This is a great conversation. Appreciate it. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode. Uh, I pray that you got a lot of information out of it and something that you can take back and apply to your life today. Uh, that is our goal, to educate, equip, and empower you to live this one life well. So there are uh, a number of things. I think we talked about the Time Shifter app, uh, different wearables and suit what is best for you. And at the end of the day, the foundation is about habits. Uh, Boomer mentioned Tiny Habits by BJ Fogg. My personal favorite is Atomic Habits by James Clear. So um, look for ways and tools and tips to apply it to your life to find your joy along your wellness journey. Remember, be, be rested, be well. Thank you.